Hanishima, the Voice of Breath podcast with Noam Sendor. My guest on today's podcast is Dr. Mira Nishama Nikulescu, a Paris born scholar and teacher of Jewish spirituality and meditation. In our interview, Dr. Mira describes her journey from a disaffected youth in Paris to the world of academia into Zen Buddhism, and finally, home, into the world of Jewish scholarship and Jewish meditation. Dr. Mira is a gentle soul who has accomplished a tremendous amount, and you can read her biography down below, but it is, of course, her state of mind and her sense of awareness and her warmth that shines through and is most important and most impressive. At the end of our wide-ranging interview, Dr. Niculescu shares with us a brief hitbonenut meditation, a contemplation meditation from the Rambam, which she guides us th- through, and it is a very powerful, powerful technique indeed. I will mention that for about the first seven minutes of our interview, there are some slight audio issues, but they resolve themselves, and the remainder is smooth sailing. I hope you enjoy. Have a wonderful day. So it gives me tremendous, tremendous pleasure and honor to to welcome Dr. Mira Nishama Nicolescu. Dr. Nicolescu, what a pleasure to have you with us. What a pleasure to be here, Noam. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's 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 truly truly an honor to have you. And I'm I'm reading your biography, and uh, you know you you seem to be doing so much, and you've done so much, and and. Uh, and really, really impressive. And, and I'd love to get to know a bit about your journey and what brought you into Jewish education. And obviously our focus here is on, on meditation, but you know, I think it'd be interesting for people to know your journey a little bit and where you came from and how you got to, the, to this moment in your life right now. Sure, sure. Um, in a way, it's a very classic journey of, um, of going away and then returning, which is, uh, I guess, it's uh, it's kind of on point with uh, with the month of Chuva, with this month that we're in of Elul, because um, it really is a journey of um, of returning back home. Um, I was born in Paris, and I grew up in a family very, very, very much not religious, not connected to religion, spirituality, no rituals, no, you know, nothing, really nothing. And um, I remember as a child, I always uh, found it. Um, sad actually um like uh you know people who have this kind of like the mystical soul type they need um they need connection and they need rituals and i needed both both connection with the divine and also ritual i always found that uh, a life without rituals is is sad actually sadder just sadder um so religion for me there was this um this attraction and at the same time uh, in the in the Jewish community that I was seeing around me in Paris at the time, very traditionalist and uh, and in terms of 
I'm making generalities, but you know, I'm just speaking from my experience. I, I wasn't seeing a lot of beautiful, inspiring dot qualities, human qualities in the in the people in the religious communities. So I felt stuck in the way, in a way, with religion. With on the one hand wanting more formal religion and rituals, and um, but then on the other hand, at the same time, like feeling that the, the people who could offer it to me, like the institution and the frame, just were really not speaking to my values. Um, and also for me, as someone who's been educated in, in Western culture and literature and philosophy, and and frankly in a cosmopolitan culture in France, and very much cosmopolitan, you're reading as well from Buddhism and Taoism and. Uh, no Greek philosophy and other, uh, just reading from other cultures. Um, I think that's something also that um, was important for me that my teachers would have that kind of knowledge as well, ideally, I would say. So for a while, I, I, I stayed there. I stayed kind of like um, stuck, if you will, really not, not being able to connect, to connect deeper with Judaism. But at the same time, as long as I wasn't formally connecting, I was feeling exiled like a feeling of being in exile some kind of, of nostalgia and so my the beginning of my spiritual life was as many people of my generation and the previous generations uh through buddhism zen especially uh, zen buddhism when i was reading books i found at my on my mom's bookshelves and uh just books speaking really about um how we can change our relationship to the world. So it was. It wasn't so much mystical and about God or transcendence. It was really very much, frankly, if I'm if I'm if I'm if I'm very straightforward, it was more about the question of suffering, really, as a human being, and also obviously coming from my own family and my own history. But you know, realizing that freedom was possible and that freedom was just about, uh, you know, the way I looked at the world and at myself and at my thoughts, the way I related to my thoughts. So I got I got involved into Zen, and at the same time, because I really still wanted to be close to um, to Judaism, um, I approached like I came closer in the way I could, which was academia. So I started um, in, in engaging into sociology, anthropology of religion, and um, and actually, really, that was a gift. A lot of um, a lot of what you 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 you've mentioned about you know my bio or, or what. What the auditors will will be able to to see um, happen randomly, really. <laughs> a lot of I, I would have never thought that I would do any of these things that I that I did. I, I really feel I was kind of like guided without knowing in advance. Um, and so my choice of you know doing a PhD in sociology of religion, and I chose to work on the Jewish Buddhists and Jews who choose to practice Buddhism, and then the whole question of boundaries, identity boundaries, and ritual boundaries. They're Jubus, exactly. <laughs> I, so just, I just, I just, one of, well, there you go. I just did a, uh, a, an episode on the phenomenon of the Jubu, which is fascinating, but you are obviously Very much good. more, <laughs> much more equipped to discuss that in, a, in an intelligent way, but I'll, I'll let you continue. No, no, that's great. I mean, it really clearly was a phenomenon that really has um, impacted just Judaism. I, I, that's, that's my, that's my, my theory really. It's it's very very uh, major phenomenon for Judaism in the 20th century. Even if it doesn't may not look so, like it's much more than just like a kind of a fringe phenomenon. Like uh, anyway, so I, I did my PhD on this, and while doing this, I you know went to Israel as a as a research scholar for a year, and uh, and I just had decided to really go everywhere and speak to as many people as I could, 
So people who were really into, you know, Buddhism, people who were into Jewish meditation, people who were into what's been called now Jewish mindfulness, which is practicing mindfulness within Jewish settings. Um, so, you know, I went on retreat with Oralev, um, an organization that I work for now. Um, and it was really the beginning of the Can you just describe what, um, what is Oralev? Can mm -hmm. you just let, let people know what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Oralev means the light of the heart, and it's a um, Jewish spirituality organization based in Israel, and organizing online and uh, and and, and in-person retreats in Israel and uh, in the states and in and in England and basically in the Anglo world, um, and uh, really, really helping people connect to to Judaism from a place of contemplation, and also simply go on retreat in in a Jewish frame. Uh, practice mindfulness meditation and also Jewish meditation. So I feel that they're really serving uh, the, the Jewish people. Um, but I, but yeah, we can talk about this later. But so basically, I went yeah, I went on retreat with them and um, and uh, then I, I went to live in New York. And when I was in New York, also I uh, I sat with IGS and I and I actually I did a Jewish mindfulness teacher training for the purposes of my PhD at the beginning. You know, it was like a participant observation. So, and when I got to New York, um, I, I actually trained, I, I, did a, I did a Jewish mindfulness teacher training, um, also for the purposes of, uh, of my PhD, right? So I really didn't see it coming. I was doing participant observation. And, um, and that's actually the first time I, I, I taught or I led like a, a meditation session in a Jewish context. Um, it was also like, initially, I just wanted to you know, see who would come and then interview people. Um, and, and and it was at Isabella Friedman, which is a, which you may know, like a Jewish retreat center, upstate New York, a beautiful place. And um, and I offered a workshop there just to see, you know, who would show up and if I could interview them after. And uh, and then people who were there just said like um, I should keep doing this, and uh, I had never thought about it, and um, I just um, it just felt very very natural. And then one of my teachers at Drisha, I was I was learning at Drisha at the time. He was doing a series on prayer. And um, he wanted to offer people um, a contemplative experience, like meditation in preparation to prayer. So he asked me if I would uh, come and, you know, teach that as part of the series, as part of the, of the workshop. So that really was the beginning of, you know, me getting into um, uh, sharing the practice of meditation with uh, other people. So kind of my research and my personal practice and, 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 and then the teaching got kind of interwaved together quite early. And because um, that was in 20, 2010, 2011, 2010, 2011. Um, and it's just, been growing uh, together, these different, these various um, ways of approaching meditation as a scholar and as a practitioner and as a, and as a teacher. And, but at the time, still in New York, I was still like one foot in the Jewish world and one foot in the Zen world. Um, I, was, I was sitting, so I was learning at Drisha and every day after classes, uh, you know, in the afternoon we had Gemara, and I would go to a zendo, which was like a few blocks away from there, five minutes. Beautiful, beautiful little zendo, um, whose teacher was, of course, a Jewish psychoanalyst, like a New Yorker. And, um, and I would sit and I would meditate with them because this is something I couldn't find really in the, in the Jewish, uh, um, in, in that world um, of Jewish learning. Uh, all the options existed. You had a wonderful program at, uh, at the JCC uh, with some of the founders of the, uh, the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, etc. 
but really to find like really that silence, I would go to that zendo, and I was kind of one foot into each world for a while, up until one day I, I realized I was really, really, and I went on retreat with the zendo, and I think that was kind of the breaking point. I realized I really was personally not comfortable with the rituals, um, that, which were very Japanese uh, rituals, and you know the, the whole question of bow, bowing and not bowing, um, which even if it doesn't mean anything that we think it is, like it's really not like worshiping idols or any god, like it's really a sign of, of respect that, that that people do when when they sit. But um, still, because for us it's so loaded, you know, and I realized it's beautiful, but it's not my culture. And uh, and in this life, you know, my my clothes, my cultural clothes, is is Judaism, my mental, my my coat, um, the coat of my spiritual life. And so, I wanted some coherence. And so from that that point, I kind of, uh, um, I kind of took more distance with uh, with the Zen world and uh, and uh, I started investigating more the world of Jewish meditation through books and as much as I could. Uh, with uh, teachers, one one of one of whom being your your father Noam, uh, who's who's really wonderful. So this is how it happened. You, it really happened. I didn't know that you knew. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that you knew my father. Yeah, yeah, really, really someone I really respect and appreciate. Wow, actually, wow. yeah, he's he's one of the people I interviewed for my for my PhD because I really did interview a lot of people, and um, and I had the merit of sitting with them in Jerusalem and uh, and a few times on Zoom and uh, amazing. I didn't know beautiful. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So that's the story in uh, on one foot and, and a few minutes more. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, we. I'm sure, like like everybody listening, I could listen to to in much more detail. That's a really powerful story and the serendipity, uh, of course, and and you know of all those experiences bringing you to that that place of teaching, uh, and also that inner call is really powerful. That that inner call. I'm wondering if you know if you could just reflect on this phenomenon of the Jubu. Even just take a couple moments, you know, and, and you know what's be what's behind that in your research. And obviously, I mean, there is this great call, this great yearning by Jewish people, and they're not necessarily finding it in mm. you know regular you know Sunday schools or shoals or Orthodox communities. And mm. you know, I'm, I'm wondering if you have. Uh, any any more insight into to what's behind this phenomenon? I mean, I could I could share a few things, but uh, things these things are already known already. And even you know Roger Kamenetz in his book from '91, he really he really said it all almost like about like kind of like the roots of the phenomenon. And uh, it's really it, it really um, it's a crisis. It's starting with a crisis, and the crisis is obviously post Holocaust crisis right like uh, and the question of suffering just the question of suffering and this and this idea that god has betrayed kind of and, and left and a lot of people just turning the, their back for, from judaism so there's that aspect of crisis there's also that aspect because the jubu phenomenon really comes initially from uh, from america and and actually the secularization was really really uh, a way i mean it, it didn't you know it didn't date back from from the shoah it was really from from before, so people were really, um, um, how do you call it, like de dissociated in a way from Judaism already, right? And just looking for spirituality, just looking to have a spiritual life, because um, uh, you know a broader movement than the Shoah uh, in in the fifties and sixties was really the counterculture, right? And this this kind of um, 
um, need for people, for the youth to, for, for other values than the, the materialistic values that had built, you know, America and that people after World War II really felt like, and, and, and the atomic bomb really felt this, this kind of dream had, had like crashed, you know, and they were looking for other values and inner work, inner work, simplicity, um, you know, things that they couldn't find necessarily in synagogues, like the culture in synagogues was mostly, mostly not spiritual. And in Europe, the same, you know. And then in Israel, it started also a few years um, after that in Israel. So um, th there was a lack. There was simply a lack. And this, um, this access to spirituality, we have, um, we have a treasure of spirituality within Judaism, but it's a treasure that is veiled, that is esoteric, that is hidden. And now it's been kind of popularized and, you know, in reaction, you know, uh, to to this phenomenon in part if you read Arya Kaplan like who's one of the first ones who, who published books about Jewish meditation in his preface it was explicitly as a reaction to the phenomenon of the Jubu saying okay all you guys are all going east to find spirituality here's what we have like look at what we have but before the rabbis decided to um, turn the esotericism into exotericism before they decided to 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 kind of give access to people to that just people didn't even know it existed you know, so they just went elsewhere. It's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. And I know Kaplan, I mean, something we spoke about, Rabbi Kaplan spoke about how really, in, in essence, Judaism is an Eastern religion. It's based upon this the, the foundations of prophecy, a prophetic religion yeah. that was unfortunately lost for so long. And now it's about, uh, as you said, kind of removing that veil and giving people access to it. And I'm wondering, you know, mm -hmm. you, you're, you know, very cosmopolitan and been around the world and been teaching around the world. Do you get a sense that there is, you know, that there remains this great spiritual yearning and thirst in in the world? Right, obviously in the, the you know post Vietnam, post Holocaust, sixties, mm seventies -hmm. counterculture. Then certainly there was that that great you know yearning and searching. Do you get a sense mm -hmm. that people are are yearning and searching today? I do, um, and I think it's evidenced by the kind of what's been called by the Time magazine, the mindful revolution. So, you know, in the 60s, it was the ashrams, and people were being very radical, right? They would, like, drop everything and go walk barefoot in India for a year, like David Zeller did, Zechon um, Olivracha. And so today, um, in a way, I feel that people's spiritual yearning is, in a way, wiser, like, more balanced. And they're like, you know, we don't need to leave everything, we can, we can keep having our job and our family and et cetera, but we understand that there is a need to, for silence and a need for, to cultivate mindfulness and presence and et cetera, because uh, you know, we, we live lives that are, um, it's like with an unprecedented amount of information, you know, um, computers and, and social media and, so, and et cetera, it, um, it's harmful. And so people realize they really need meditation. So I feel the yearning is here today, not so much, you know, in the 60s, it was a reaction against materialism and the kind of defeat of Western modernity in, in the violence of war. And today it's more like we just have an insane lifestyle, very alienating. And so people just really, really need to sit down. Yeah. And you know, to sit down and find space. And yeah. certainly in in this kind of, uh, I can't even say post-pandemic, this, this mid-pandemic world that we are in yeah. uh, and a deeper sense of alienation so, you know, certainly there's, there's, I mean, there's going to be the big mental health crisis that's on our hands and will only get worse. Yeah. And I think that we, 
we need to be equipping people. And so, you know, the, the work that you do is is so, so essential and so powerful. And I'd love to maybe if you could just share a little bit about what you do with Or Halev in your teaching mm -hmm. and what, what sort of, uh, you know, retreats do you run and, and, you know, the meditation that you focus on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I work with uh, several organizations. Um, so I work with Or Halev uh, either, you know, so since the pandemic, doing mostly working on Zoom, but before we were doing also in-person uh, retreats. And actually, there was the kind of hidden gift of Corona, uh, of this pandemic, is that really, you know, there is, there, there is, it's, it's difficult to say Gamzule Tova, but there is something to be found, like an opportunity in, in, in crisis. And this is the opportunity, as you said, people turning to meditation. And us meditation teachers going on Zoom, which we all thought, like most of us thought it was going to be impossible. And we actually realized that like energy and presence really, really travel well through Zoom. And so connecting with people. So it's really, with Or Halev, it's mostly retreats that we do. Um, I work for a wonderful um, online Jewish learning um, organization that's called Applied Jewish Spirituality, AGS. And so here it's more about like um, waving together the text learning and, and practice, like putting into practice the, the text learning. So I've been, I've been offering series on Jewish meditation, like learning text and then doing the practice uh, to introduce people to traditional Jewish meditation techniques. Um, with Or Halev, we do both, you know, traditional Jewish meditation techniques or we do mindfulness, Jewish mindfulness, so mindfulness in a, in a Jewish context. And I've been teaching at Pardes also on Zoom. Uh, um, traditional Jewish meditation like this is really what I'm, I'm it's my main my main thing um although I love I, I I think there's a lot to mindfulness also but like um I focus on uh, on Jewish meditation as much as I can and I've been working for the Institute of Jewish Spirituality who've been offering since the beginning of of the pandemic daily meditation and meditations have really really been helping really thousands of people over the past year and a half um, and I hope I'm forgetting no one, uh, but I have also my own um, association in Paris that's called Nishama. Um, and since the pandemic, we've gone on Zoom also, so it's like French-speaking people from all over the world, really um, gathering a few times a week to meditate together. And uh, I'm actually heading to the south of France in a few days for our first uh, retreat, Elul retreat. So it's really classes and series and retreats. Um, yeah, to support people in their in their practice. Amazing. And it's so special that you seem to have found that kind of, you know, you're, you're calling and you, you have answered it and you're providing. And, and it's, I mean, like you said, I mean, the, the world needs these things in, in a deep mm -hmm. way. Uh, and I'd love for you to share a little bit also about your, your involvement with the organization Roots, uh, which yeah. I, I believe, you know, addresses kind of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is, you know, sometimes seems like it's like there's no no solution, no way forward. And I'm wondering, you know, what does your work involve there uh, entail? And, and, you know, how does spirituality or meditation play a role in that? Mm -hmm. So first of all, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm very embarrassed. I'm super, super, super behind in my work with Roots. It's like basically we decided to start and then I put it on hold for a few months because I've been working like a crazy person. Um, so it's, it's mostly, you know, uh, it's mostly a commitment. I made the first step and now I need to make things happen. But basically I'm, I'm heading the clergy council, which means that, um, I have the task to kind of speak with people from, you know, different religions who support the work that Root, uh, does. And so just to give an idea to people, Roots, they have a strategy, which I found just absolutely genius, 
which is people-to-people -people peacemaking, taking things from the roots, right? Like a grassroots movement. And it started with uh, Raf Ruman from the Gush, um, who decided to get together with his Arab-Palestinian neighbors. And um, they, they came to a conclusion that, like, you know, they're here um, and they, they're not going anywhere. And their neighbors are here and they're not going anywhere. And so they have this kind of motto, which is that it's not the land who belongs to people and to these people or that people, but it's people who belong to the land. And so their um, kind of approach is to say, okay, we belong to the land and we have to make it work, you know? And so I'm, 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 I'm hopefully I'm, I'm going to be developing this um, through contacting people who are, you know, spiritual leaders um, and who are going to work with their own communities towards just meeting, towards just meeting each other. And the way roots work, it's not through discourse, it's not through theory, it's just through hanging out, you know, organizing meetings, which we, which has been also um, much more complicated during uh, COVID, but still doing things for people to get to know each other simply, um, you know, because when if people, we've been we've been doing, uh, that's not through roots, but like through, actually through OLEV, like I, um, and through, you know, groups of, of friends. I have, I have a group of friends who's created, who have created a, an organization in Jerusalem for Jerusalem inhabitants, um, Arabs and, and Jews. And it's called Mabad Mibad uh, Together and Beyond. And we just get together and, and we've been meditating, you know, together. Because um, Palestinians also are getting into mindfulness, you know, meditation. And um, it gets us together, like the same values, the same wanting to just feel at peace. You know, and serene and feel good and feel safe where we are. And I feel that a lot of violence, I mean, this is very cliche what I'm going to say, but a lot of the violence comes from just not knowing the other. And when you spend time with people, they're just people, and then they become your friends. It's not as simple as I'm saying, yeah. but uh, there is something there. There is really something there. And, and certainly, you know, we have to try something, you know, and this is obviously we know that the power of just that human connection. And so if anything, I mean, this, yeah. this, this our little conversation maybe should be a push <laughs> for you to, to, to move that forward, yeah. um, you know, because yeah. it's, it's such important work. There's, there's, yeah. there's no question, and, and, you know, kind of that age old issue, but, you know, I believe, you know, we got to believe in the good on, on all sides and the, and the good people who, who, who want to find peace and want to make these connections. And so I, I bless yeah. you with <laughs> with strength and success and the courage to, to, to just build those roots ever, ever so ever so gently. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know I'd, I'd love to hear if you have any any advice to someone who might be listening to this who who wants to get started with meditation and this is something I've asked some of my other guests and yeah. I'm wondering if you have any any advice for a beginner and and you know, what they might want to read or what they might want to try or, you know, yeah. you can do with that, whatever you wish. Mm. Thank you. No, I think it's a great, uh, it's a great like question because it's really important. Um, so the first thing I would say is that, you know, each of us has their own way to get somewhere, right? Some people are more independent and they need to read first and they need to do their thing. And then, you know, and some people really need to start with a group or a teacher. So it really, really depends on people, right? There is no like generic kind of uh, recommendation. That being said, what comes to mind when you're asking the question, the first thing that came to mind is 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 is, um, is get a teacher, get a teacher and uh, get a group. And the again, the gift, the hidden gift that we or the unexpected gift that we received from this time is that a lot of meditation and teachers and series are available now live on Zoom, um, and it can really help people kind of like 
get guidance and get into it. Because sometimes like I, not so long ago, like we, I was teaching a class in meditation and, and, and someone was like, he was really fighting with his thoughts and he thought he had to not think and et cetera. And it was extremely painful for him. You know, so sometimes like it's very subtle. Meditation is very subtle. Um, and you can just start off if, if you have like an idea of it that is less precise, I guess. You can, you can really, you can struggle a lot, you know. So just having, finding a teacher that speaks to you, that's going to guide you, um, that you know that at this time you have your thing, you know, that you just have to show up. It's very helpful also for simply for self-discipline. And then if you have a group, either an online group or like a physical group, like um, it gives accountability. It gives like something to look forward to. It's, it's, it's very helpful. And then readings are, are wonderful. But I think the practice and practicing with guidance and, and with a group gives a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And obviously, you know, in the the notes for this episode, then people will be able to find links to the different things that you are doing. And I'm sure there'll be classes that uh, people who are, you know, French speaking or not can uh, can connect to. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, you're right. Obviously, we don't want to talk about that kind of that silver lining uh, because we are still in the midst of, of a time of great suffering for so many people. But mm -hmm but we do need to find within this the opportunities that have presented themselves and there's no question that the the global situation is a profound call to humanity for an awakening and the awakening is not this this you know like as you spoke about before kind of like that sense in the the 60s and 70s of these extreme sorts of acts and, and divorcing oneself from reality the awakening mm -hmm. is just to be more present with, with our loved ones, more focused on the moment, more connected with the divine. And so you're right, there is this great calling and, and there's amazing resources out there and you are one of those resources. So we're, we're very grateful for for the work, the holy work that you're doing and grateful that that it kind of presented itself with, you know, in your life and manifest in your life with the ability for you to, to help and to heal and to guide people. And so we're, you know, and I'm, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to, to connect to you and and to to be able to to share you with you know those people who are listening and, and it's wonderful i put this little podcast out and you know i see people in argentina and people in france and spain and hong kong and papua new guinea and you know it's like where do these people find it who knows why are they connecting but people find it and people are searching yeah. and so you know I'm, I'm hoping that people will, will reach out and connect to you if they're if they're drawn to to your voice and your vision, which I'm sure they will be, and I, I was wondering if you had, I mean, before we we kind of wrap ourselves up here, um, mm -hmm. you, you'll be sharing a meditation with us, please God, at the at the end of our little talk together. And I'm wondering if you could guide people a little bit through uh, through what you what you're going to be guiding us with or towards. Yeah, yeah. When you asked me the question, I. The thing that came to mind is Hidboninut from the Rambam, Hidboninut contemplation. And uh, it really can mean observation and then reflecting, contemplating something like I'm contemplating the sky. And then it can be also introspection meditation. And so here I'm talking about a visual meditation, visual contemplation. And it's interesting because um, a lot of people, and I decided to offer this one because a lot of people have this image, you know, of meditation that it's like one thing and like you're sitting, you know, and preferably, you know, lotus cross-legged, which is really like a reduction of what meditation is. Um, there's so many techniques and especially in the Jewish world, 
so many techniques, you know, some are walking and talking, some are repeating, some are writing, some are, you know, visualizing with eyes closed and visualizing with eyes open and et cetera. And so this one is, is, a, is a visual contemplation and the source is in the Mishneh Torah, in the Hilchot Yesodeh Torah, at the very beginning, Bet Bet, chapter two, and he's, he's talking about, uh, he's talking about, um, you know, the way to, the way to feel the divine, the way to feel love and ira, which is awe, fear. And I, I just want to be specific about this word fear. I prefer awe. It's like, you know, when you go to the sea, to the ocean or to the mountain, you know, you, you have to fear, and I'm putting brackets here, but like the mountain or the ocean, because it's very powerful. It's very, very powerful and it's potentially dangerous. So you can't approach it lightheaded, you know, when you go to, you know, hike in the um, mountain or when you go in the ocean. So it's this kind of feeling, uh, awe, reverence, you know, respect and love. And so he's, he's saying how to, how to feel that, how to get to, to feel that, that emotion. And he says, you just, you just look, you just look at his creation. You look at the world, you look at, you know, plants and animals and everything. You look at the world and then you will, you will, you will sense that. You will feel that something. Um, and I think this is something, you know, that, that's the reason why we go in the nature. We go in the nature, we go on hikes, we go, you know, see sunsets. We, because something almost sacred happens, right? All of us have had this experience, hopefully, right? And, um, and it's funny because yesterday I received an article from something about mindfulness, um, the kind of like mindfulness and science and et cetera. And it was about smiling. And they were talking about the whole the benefits about, about, of smiling and giving some tools, you know, how to bring that more in life. And one of the tools were just go take a walk in nature, you know, and it's going to change something in your system. And so that's exactly what Maimonides, the Rambam, was talking about, you know, a couple of uh, more than a thousand years ago. Um, this kind of awakening, of kind of almost spontaneous awakening um, of, of, of the heart, really, when you, when you look at nature. So this is what we'll, we'll be doing together. And, uh, and I want to emphasize that you don't need to have a spectacular landscape uh, down your, your home, you know, for that. I'm, I'm in a room right now. and I'm it's not, not all of us are in southeast France right now, you know. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, you can look at a little piece of sky. You can look at a plant. You can look at a piece of fruit, you know, and that's nature. But if you really take the time to look, and it's an invitation to open our eyes, to really wonder of, of nature and, and to, be, to be healed almost by that, you know, to receive that grace. And it's just, it's just up to us, you know, to take the time to really to really contemplate. That sounds, that sounds that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And, and I'll mention, I mean, for what it's worth, although people all over the world uh, may hear this meditation, we right now in Melbourne are actually locked down. We're not allowed to really leave our homes unless we mm. go to exercise or go to the, uh, you know, the supermarket. So it's a bit challenging, but I've been, uh, you know, telling people, you know, yeah, just, you know, if you've got a backyard, great, sit in the backyard, or if not, open up the window and sit by the window, or, you know, you can go to a park and, and what, you know, and it's about finding even in the, like you said, just like the tree or the, the potted plant just in front of you to find that connect to the, to the awesomeness of this, this thing that very often we take for granted. Yeah. And you know, like we've been mentioning it a few times during our conversation and really the, the expression that came to mind a few times was this expression, fierce grace, which Ramdas, Richard Alpert, who's a wonderful Jew, another one uh, who went East, 
um, fierce grace, and that's the expression he uses to speak about his um, he had a um, he had a stroke that left him quite paralyzed, and then he realized that there was there there was a teaching there for him, the ultimate like kind of spiritual teaching, with, which was to surrender and to have humility, and really in every life situation it's possible to see like what can what can i learn what can be the teaching what can be the grace that comes with fierceness right it's like hard to be in a pandemic it's hard to be grounded home but what an invitation as you said you know to turn within and nature like nature is it's you look at the palm of your hand you're looking at nature like you can you can be in awe of that also you know but like just to turn within and to and to see that whole world that opens amazing that's a beautiful a beautiful powerful lesson fierce grace i don't know if you got the opportunity to see that there's a documentary on netflix which uh kind of portrays ramdas final days it's something like yeah. welcome home or going home or something like that uh mm -hmm. if, if for those of you listening if you haven't seen it it's a really powerful meditation yeah, on 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 death and life and uh, you know, he made a huge impact in, in his life. And surrender. And surrender. Yeah, yeah amazing. Amazing. Uh, Very powerful. Uh, Mira, if I can call you Mira, such a such an amazing Thanks. opportunity to, to sit with you. And and I would love to get you back because it's clear that we've only scratched the surface here of your wisdom and your insight. And I really, really want to thank you for taking time to, to sit with me, even though we're eight hours apart and we've got internet issues. But but you know your your voice and your wisdom and your humor shines right through uh, over the, the thousands of of kilometers, and so I thank you so much for your time and for sharing the meditation with us that that will begin uh, in just a moment after you, you those of you listening will hear a chime. But I want to thank you and bless you as well as we do at the end of, of each of these. Just con uh, continued um, healing powers, the ability to to draw down the light of of healing and connection and, and to true Torah wisdom and spirituality, the type of spirituality that will draw people back and, and allow people to return to wholeness and to health and to happiness. And so I, I bless you with just continued success. And I look forward, please God, to the opportunity to, to meet you in person and, and to be able to connect in that way. And so thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that you wanna, wanna leave us with? Any any final, final ideas or thoughts or, or anything at all? You could do whatever you want. I just want to bless you that, uh, you know, the, this podcast may reach many, many people and help many, many people and bless everyone who is uh, listening to us, that they may open their heart to life and to God and to each other. Amen, amen. Thank you so much. And uh, once again, I, I look forward to connecting very soon. And I wish you a Shana Tova Umetuka, a sweet and happy new year. Thank you. Shalom friends, this is Melanie Shama for the Voice of Breath. And I'd like to uh, offer a meditation from the Rambam, Maimonides, great, great philosopher and doctor and Torah scholar and wise man from the Middle Age, from Spain to Egypt, who taught in his book, the Mishneh Torah, and specifically Hilchot Yesodei HaTorah, the Laws of Foundation of Torah, Bet, bet, two, two. He's teaching us a meditation, a visual meditation, inviting us to contemplate nature, 
and through contemplating nature, to really actually realize, to have a kind of insight, to have an awakening of the heart towards the divine. And I just want to read you the first Fasuk, where he's kind of describing what to do and what's the point of it, what's the purpose of it. And I want to invite you as we get ready, as we're getting ready, and before I read the Pasuk, to the verse, to decide what you are going to focus on, because this is a visual meditation. So you may um, be deciding to take a walk into nature, or maybe you already are into nature. You may be sitting in your living room and looking at plants and at the sky and trees in the street, in the street as I'm doing right now, so just to kind of um, choose your object of contemplation. Let's take a moment for that. Let's take a deep breath together. And a deep out breath. Just to kind of come back to our center, to bring our, really our mind, our attention back in our body and from there, gazing outward. So I want to read to you what uh, the Rambam tells us, and he, he starts with a question. So what is the way to love him and be in awe, respectful surrender, reverence to him? I'm saying him here because I'm using, I'm translating literally from the original, um, from the from the language, from the Hebrew, which used the he. Uh, if this is something that you're not comfortable with, you may say her, you may say they. Um, same thing with God, right? We all have different ways to connect to the divine. And for some of us, it's easy to say Hashem, the divine. For others, um, it's um, more inspiring to speak about the source of life, life force, life, you know, life itself. I just want to share with you, for instance, that my own vision of the divine is really life, the source of life, the energy of life, the grace of life itself, the source of life. So it's really not, I personally don't relate to an anthropomorphic personified God, which was really, really also the invitation of Maimonides to to kind of step out of anthropo- anthropomorphism. Uh, and I wanted to kind of do this parenthesis before we go in, a, in our actual meditation to really uh, make sure that each of you who are listening to this today are comfortable relating to the divine in whichever way you do, whichever way that speaks to you, that is true to you and relevant. So what is the way to love and to feel reverence you know, for life, the source of life, the divine? And he's going to give us his own answer, his own tool, his own spiritual tool. In this moment that the human being starts to to contemplate, to observe, to contemplate his actions, and his wonderful and great creatures, right? So his actions, when we're talking about the Masav, it's really what the mystics called, you know, Masav the acts of creation, so really nature. 
the trees and the plants. So I want to pause here in the text and invite you to to look at um, the piece of nature you're looking at. And again, if you don't even have a little flower in a vase in front of you or a fruit, you can even look at just your hand. You know, this is nature too. Just looking at this wonder, it really is a wonder. Taking a moment too. Gazing receptively to receive a teaching from the very thing we're looking at. To hear what they're telling us. These tree, these leaves, or anything else we're looking at right now. This is a different type of gaze, this contemplative gaze, and maybe it felt strange when I, when I invited you to look receptively. Usually when we look, we're used to looking actively, like I'm looking at a book, I'm reading a text message, I'm reading an email, you know I'm being active, I'm taking information, I'm looking for something specifically, I'm looking at a movie, right? Here it's just like I have my eyes open, and I'm really just contemplating, meaning I'm taking time to really encounter the object I'm looking at as if it was the first time, as if I had no concept for you know, what's a tree or what's a hand. That's contemplation. It's really taking the time to meet what we're looking at. Trying to forget the preconceived ideas we have of it, concepts. So taking the time for a true encounter with reality. And I don't know for you, but for me, it's already transforming me. I'm looking at this palm tree and this plant. I'm looking at the transparency of the color of the leaves because uh, the daylight is kind of shining through them. I'm looking at their aliveness. I'm looking at how they're defying gravity. So the Rambam pursues and says, Through nature, he will see the human being who looks, who gazes, who observes, who contemplates, who does it by note, will see through it, through them, these wonderful creatures and acts of creation, his wisdom that has no, you know, Measure and no end. Miyad, immediately, who or have? On me shaber, on me paer, on me tave, tavagdola, leida Hashem hagadol. Immediately, 
there's something there to him that, you know, is going to wake us up from really being in nature. And I'm sure, and I hope many of you have had these moments of, ah, oh, you know, in nature that it kind of wakes you up to, wow, life is, life is amazing, you know? So he says immediately he will love and praise and exalt and desire, feel a great desire to know, to know his great name. And that, in a Jewish spiritual perspective, is very, very much embodied learning, experiential learning. The first who knows someone or something, it's, Adam, who knows his wife, Chava, when he makes love to her. So Ladat is really knowing intimately through experience, through encounter. And that to me is very much a central part of the act of contemplative visual meditation, like we're doing right now. Knowledge through really encountering and being intimate. And to close this pasuk, the Rambam quotes a pasuk from the Tehilim, where David Melech says, My soul thirsts, thirsts for God, for the living God. And I want to invite you, if you'd like, to maybe recite this pasuk, this verse from the Tehillim, when you're looking at nature or when you walk into nature. If you feel that you need help to wake up, to wake your heart up, to wake your soul up. And don't worry if this kind of awe and love don't come immediately. That's very normal. You know, the, the heart becomes dull, you know, and it's not um, awakened. These are not practices maybe that we grew up with. And uh, it's like a muscle presence, you know. Actual presence can really bring awakening and exalted emotions. But if we don't practice that, then we just, it's very likely that we won't feel anything right now, that we'll be kind of indifferent. So the invitation is actually here to trust the practice and to practice, because the practice is here to wake us up, really. I want to bless you that you enjoy your practice, that you take it with you, and that you trust the process. Enjoy. Oh, world's gone dark, let's all give up. I'm not strong enough to light up this darkness. Thank you for listening to the Voice of Breath podcast with Noam Sendor. The theme music is the song Breathe by Fetter Hendel. And remember, don't forget to breathe. It's lost its feet, calls for strength and guidance. And I say, I say to you, don't forget to breathe And I say